friends, my name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Julie Lowe about her mini book, Teens and Suicide, Recognizing the Signs and Sharing the Hope. For more help on today's topic, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Julie Lowe is a faculty member at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation and a licensed professional counselor with nearly 20 years of counseling experience. In addition to the mini book we're discussing today, Julie is also the author of Building Bridges, Biblical Counseling Activities for Children and Teens. Julie and her husband, Greg, have six children and service foster and adoptive parents. Hey there, Julie. Thanks so much for joining us again on the Hope and Help podcast. My pleasure. Glad to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation with you, not because it's necessarily a a very happy conversation, but I think because it's a very necessary conversation and not one that we have touched on on the show before. And so we're talking today about your mini book on teens and suicide. And I guess before we get started in our conversation, I wonder if you could spend a few minutes telling us why you wanted to write a book on this topic. Well, as you mentioned, it's certainly a much needed topic. And uh, New Growth Press, who published it, also felt that it was important and valuable to write on. I think more than ever, teenagers are struggling. They're struggling with self-injury. They're struggling with suicide and hopelessness is really what I would target. It's this despair and hopelessness that enters into young people's lives and probably culture all over the place. So it felt like it was both necessary for the population, but I think it really hits on a theme we probably see in our society today, and that's the lack of hope. Yes, well, I really appreciated you speaking into this dark problem. And I mean, I personally have navigated these types of challenges in terms of teens who are feeling hopeless and suicide with my daughter's permission have even written about it in the past. And so this is a topic that's not um, academic for me. It's something that hits home, which is why I was really uh, glad to be able to facilitate this conversation, because I know that there are parents out there who feel like maybe this problem is unique to their family, and they just don't know where the, where do they even begin to minister to a teen who's experiencing problems they perhaps can't even understand. And so thank you for this mini book to help give us a glimpse into what's going on with, with their experiences and how we can best help. And so, Julie, I wonder if you could spend some time helping us to think through some of the reasons that today's teens seem to be more vulnerable to suicide. Yeah, if I were to start more broadly, you think the, the more we take a, uh, a God-focused worldview out of our children's lives, the more it makes sense that they're looking for meaning and value in things that really won't satisfy and they can bring temporary comfort, but they don't really satisfy. So I think there's this foundational struggle of a godless worldview that does lead to despair and hopelessness when we become our only solution to hardship. Suicide and self-injury and despair and discouragement, these things are not new to people, yellow and young people. But I think what is new is the wealth 
of technology that contributes to those struggles. I'm trying to be thoughtful in how I say it because I hate sounding anti-technology, but I think kids who used to struggle now have access to websites and other people who are struggling. And sometimes you see that actually aids and encourages the struggle rather than finding hope and help. So hope and help certainly is out there through uh, social media and places like that. But instead, what we find is kids tend to find other kids struggling the same way they do. And it almost perpetuates the confusions, the feelings, the despair, the hopelessness. And there are multiple examples of even kids going to websites where they're being encouraged in ways to commit suicide or, or why life is hopeless. And so it just reaffirms all this negative thinking that's already there performance, just the the comparison, the looking at other people's lives on social media and feeling like my life will never measure up, the level of cyberbullying that occurs today in schools, the struggle with sexting and uh, a young girl sharing a naked photo of herself to her boyfriend. And before you know it, 200 people have it um, on campus and she can't get away from it. There's nowhere you can go. Uh, It is everywhere. And just the despair that I can't face anybody again. So you can see just there's this exponential increasing of things that may have been problematic in the past, but now they're out there both publicly and permanently on social media. I wonder if you can help us get into the mindset of a teen who is vulnerable to suicide. What is it about suicide that seems appealing to them? Well, I guess there could be a couple of things. Um, One might be just wanting to escape. There is something that seems so problematic that I, the only way out is to end my life. And so that escape door that it seems to give uh, somebody. I think the other option, well, is escaping pain, I guess is another way of saying it too, where some teens will struggle feeling like I can't face anybody, the humiliation, the pain, the, the heartache, the whatever it might be, the embarrassment. Then there are other kids that I think are hurting so badly, whether they're hurting because of something that's happened to them, because of rejection, because of violation. There could be a lot of reasons, but the pain feels so great that they just want the pain to stop. And they can't, you know, kids like that will tend to self-medicate. They'll, they'll look for drugs or alcohol or other things that will help dull the pain until ultimately they find none of those things work. And we're either going to move towards the Lord or you're going to move towards ending it so that you don't feel that pain anymore, right? Absolutely. Well, as we talk about this experience that teens are going through, and again, as I said, it resonates with me as a parent, but then also as someone who has felt that kind of despair and hopelessness and even experienced suicidal ideations in the past. It's such an isolating thing to go through. And so I wonder for the parents who are listening, who maybe aren't aware of the warning signs, maybe you could share, like, what would we be looking for in a teen um, that we're concerned about who maybe seems like they're starting to change before our eyes and we're not even sure why? Yeah, well, you just brought up the the main thing that a parent, I think, would start to recognize or somebody who knows the teen well is it's going to be change. So it's interesting because some kids are very bubbly and outgoing, and we would think somebody who is suicidal or hurting will become more withdrawn, and that does happen. But sometimes you also see really withdrawn kids start to do things more socially. Um, 
And for a couple of reasons, maybe one is even the thought or the commitment to do this makes them feel more lighthearted. It makes them feel different. And so as a, a parent or a loved one, I'm paying attention to significant changes in my child. And I don't always know why that change is happening, but I want to notice, right? And so it could be because of multiple things going on in their life, but it would be a red flag that they're giving their things away. They're becoming have this nonchalant attitude, like they don't care about anything anymore when they used to care about things, or they become more withdrawn and sad. The hardest heartbreak is when a parent says they've, they saw nothing, the child acted bubbly and normal, and they, they were able to mask their pain so well, and their thoughts so well that there were not any clues, there weren't any indication, which is why as a parent or a loved one, it's always really helpful to say, I want to always be pursuing young people. I want to be pursuing relationship and conversation because the chances of that coming out from pursuing knowing them well are a little bit higher, maybe a lot higher. As you mentioned earlier in the conversation about turning to social media or even peers to try to find voices who can resonate with the inner angst that they're going through. And it makes me think about the reality of the scriptures and how the scriptures are a resource to give words to the inner angst, to the despair. As we think about this conversation, you know, is there a way that through the scriptures, parents and caregivers can carefully and compassionately engage a teen who is struggling in this way? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the way you talked about the inner angst because you hear that. I mean, the Psalms are the most obvious that come to mind where there's a free expression of lament of unfairness, injustice, emotional upheaval, brokenheartedness. And so we have modeled before us that we're free to express those things and to express them to somebody who has the power to intervene and hear and, and intercede on our behalf. So the, the winsomeness and the wisdom is how we do that, where teens aren't feeling lectured, but they're feeling known and understood. And when we're able to map that onto how scripture talks, all of a sudden what we've done is we've built bridges between them and the Lord. And we've demonstrated the Lord can know their heart and their brokenness and that he has something to say. And then he enters into those dark places. He pierces the darkness of despair and enters in with himself. How often in your family counseling, or I don't know if you do family counseling or just more with with teens, but I almost wonder, you know, even to begin to have these types of conversations, it seems like there needs to be an existing environment where parents aren't necessarily trying to scoot their children past their sadnesses and fears and just say, oh, you know, you don't have anything to worry about, or you're just being selfish and ungrateful, or, you know, so instead of just kind of writing off their experiences as opposed to engaging them, I wonder how how often do you see that being a stumbling block just in terms of parent to teen communication? Yeah, probably more often than any of us want to admit. And I think it's because what I call kind of this fast food culture that we we live on the ongoing, what do we need to communicate to get by? And what that does is it inhibits any real 
connection and connecting. So it's kind of like fast food, you know, it provides uh, sustenance, but certainly not nourishment. And we live lifestyles like that, where two parent homes are busy, often both parents are working, or they're committed to a lot of things. And so we communicate just enough to get through the day, get homework done, get through dinner, get everybody's showers, get them to the next activity, we fall asleep, and then we wake up the next day to continue that. And it's this fast pace that has sustenance, we're keeping things going, but there's no nourishing conversation or discipleship or uh, connecting with one another on a deeper level. And so think how much that would make a team feel even more isolated and unknown, that they can feel that way. They can live in a household with other people and feel utterly unknown and connected to. Um, and so I think what you're saying is hitting to the heart of a lot of family struggles where Parents need to be willing to slow life down enough to ask their kids to press into their worlds, to go inside places inside their head and hearts that we don't reach unless we're pulling it out and, and taking time and slowing life down to have those kind of conversations. So maybe there's a parent listening right now who agrees with everything that we're saying, but they're like, man, I don't even know where do I begin? I don't feel like I'm equipped. You know, this, this is a problem. Maybe they have an experience and they just don't know what to do. And so I wonder, you know, before we move into more practical application of, of how we can take some next steps, maybe we can first encourage that parent with how the gospel of Jesus Christ is even relevant to a teen who is vulnerable to suicide. Yeah, well, as a parent, just even my own life, I guess, has to be modeled. I'm thinking about what you're saying, realizing, well, I've got to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant to my life. I've got to believe that a personal relationship with the Lord helps make sense out of everything, especially the hard things and the hard moments. And if I have that kind of commitment, then I want to find ways of speaking that into my child's life, or even just the way I live it out and the way I handle conflict or struggles in my own life will model to them that the Lord has something to say that the gospel speaks into conflicts, it speaks into heartbreak, it speaks into victimization that I'm going to the Lord with my concerns and I'm talking about him in ways that are very real and personal in my own life. And my children are hearing that in ways that, you know, God's not that personal to me like he is to mom or dad. I want that. I wonder how I can make that happen. So there's that active modeling before our children, just our lifestyle of, of what the gospel means. And do we talk about mercy and grace and humility and the need for forgiveness? Do I apologize? Do I ask for forgiveness? Do I talk about my own need for the Lord in front of my kids? Well, sometimes we might be afraid as parents to talk about suicide with our teens, like so many other kind of taboo topics that tend to be rearing their head in today's culture and society. And I guess maybe we hesitate to talk about suicide because we think we might be putting ideas into their head if we do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for someone who's thinking that way, can you talk to why it's wise to open those lines of communication, especially regarding this topic? Yeah, that's a, the broader. We, we avoid talking about hard topics because we think if our children aren't thinking about them, well, I don't want to make them start thinking about it. I don't want to bring it up. But the problem with that mentality is kids are often hearing about these things, being exposed to these things. And then thinking about them, but they're doing it without any loving or redemptive guidance to do so. So what they learn is as a parent, I'm either inadequate or silent in being able to speak into this problem. So where are they going to head to? They're going to head to peer group. They're going to head to the internet. They're going to head 
to find somebody who wants to speak into this and we're not going to like the voices that begin speaking into it. So problem number one is believing if my kids aren't talking about it, they're not thinking about it. And I have, after almost 25 years of counseling experience over and over again, kids are always thinking about these things, but they're doing it without any loving guidance. So I rather proactively shape the way a child thinks about a subject than have to go back and try to debunk an inaccurate view. So it's so important that as an adult, I'm willing to bring up the hard topics and I'm willing to shape how they think about them because how I talk about it will inform whether I glamorize it or I downplay it or I normalize it or I speak with gravity into it. So whether it's issues of suicide or abuse or sexting or pornography, am I willing to model to my child, no topics off limits. We can talk about these things no matter how scary, no matter how hard. The other thing about that is I'm modeling to them that it's okay. If you're struggling with this, it's okay to talk about it because I'm modeling the ability to bring it up. And that's so important with an issue of um, suicide and self-injury and those types of things to say, hey, we know life can be hard. We know kids struggle with this. And we know you might even have these kind of thoughts. And to some degree, we normalize that. Uh, it can happen, but we also start to guide them in what to do about it. If you ever feel that way, please let us know. We love you and we care about you. Or if you're ever struggling with these thoughts, here's three people you should go to talk to that are always safe people to talk to. And we start providing options and resources for our kids. I love your encouragements to be proactive because I think that helps, among other things, to kind of take down those barriers of shame that might come up when a child or a teen is, is struggling in this way and they don't understand it, it's overwhelming, they don't know where to go and they're afraid of what are they going to think if I say that I'm experiencing these thoughts, you know? And so there's that, that barrier of fear and shame that can come and interfere and prevent even meaningful conversations or, or uh, the help that they need to get. And I love the statement that you say in the book, you write, quote, when your child suffers with suicidal thoughts, you suffer as well. And I really appreciate you just highlighting that for, for me as a reader, for the parents who are listening, because you're acknowledging the reality that, look, as parents, we don't know how to fix this. This is a problem that is deep and painful for our children. And it's not going to be a quick and easy remedy to get them back to a place where they feel like the future isn't bleak and that they can take their next steps, you know, in a meaningful and productive way in their life. And so what words of comfort and counsel do the scriptures have to offer to parents or caregivers to encourage them in the face of the fears they have with regards to their struggling teen? Yeah, well, I always go to Galatians 6, this idea of not growing weary and doing good, because parenting can be very wearisome. Um, the hard things can be really wearisome, but even the fear and anxiety for our children's future, you know, the, the weightiness of having a child who might be struggling in this way and laying up at night wondering, um, are they safe? Uh, do I need to check on them? Am I saying enough to them? Are they getting enough help and resources? The burden of that and realizing that no labor of love is in vain, that we're always moving towards loving well, and that it's a persevering love. So I think that's sometimes where we fail, that we want a quick fix. As, as you brought up, we want to know uh, things will be better right away, where 
things like this, it is walking a journey with somebody and persevering with them and loving them and being faithful to walk alongside them and helping them know they're not alone. They're not alone in their struggles. And the, just the ministry of presence, um, I've thought about that a lot over the last year, like just having somebody's presence and how that makes a difference and how over and over again in scripture, God offers himself. His presence is always the answer in our fears and our insecurities and our turmoils and to not minimize how just being a loving presence makes a world of difference in a person's life. Julie, I wonder about the role of the local church and, you know, where the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, our mission here at IBCD is to equip the local church in one another care. And so I, I do like to kind of bring these issues into the broader community, um, because even as a child who's suffering, and as the parent who's suffering, because the child is suffering, even just in the family unit, it can be an isolating experience to go through something like this. You know, some parents may even have children who have ended up in the psychiatric hospital, you know, on a suicide watch or self-harm restriction. And so, gosh, it's so hard to walk through as a family for a number of different reasons. And so thinking about the role of the local church, what can we do as a church body to help support families and to care for teens who are vulnerable to suicide? I love that question because it really is coming alongside each other, one anothering as community. And again, that goes back to this issue of presence that you're not alone in your struggle. There are often other people who have experienced it, but it can be such a silent struggle or a shameful struggle that families are afraid of admitting this. They're afraid of being judged or shunned in some form. So even just talking about it publicly, I say from the pulpit, but I mean publicly in ministries and saying, this is not a topic too scary for us. If you've struggled, if you've had these thoughts, come talk to us. We care. We want to walk alongside you. Just that being voiced out loud keeps people from suffering in silence. But then there's all kinds of wonderful resources too, support groups or uh, you know, parents who have kids who struggle this way or kids who are struggling this way or how we promote talking about it in youth ministry. Um, so I always talk about the more we talk about it from the pulpit, the more we talk about it publicly, the more people feel less alone in their struggles. Well, I really appreciate you sharing some insights here today in our conversation and just some practical help as well. But I'd like to invite you now to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening today whose teen is experiencing suicidal thoughts or is walking through a season of deep despair and hopelessness. What would you say to this person to encourage them with the hope and help of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I would say if you are one of those people you are not alone, even though it feels so isolating and lonely. And I would strongly encourage you to start reaching out for help and support. There are many organizations, there are many ministries that do this, and they can connect you to local people. The worst thing in the world is to remain in silence over your, your struggle. Invite thoughtful, caring people in to walk alongside you. And don't be afraid to ask for help. One of the things I wish we did better in the church was being more transparent with each other in our struggles. Awesome, Julie. Well, thank you so much for those words of encouragement. If you are listening and you'd like to get more information on Julie's mini book, Teens and Suicide, you can scroll down to the show notes, click the link there, and that will take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access all of that information. 
And Julie, thanks again so much for joining us for the show. Not a, like I said, not a cheery conversation, but most certainly a necessary one. And I pray that the listeners were comforted and, and perhaps emboldened to enter into their teens' pain and start having those meaningful Christ-centered conversations. So thank you. My pleasure. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for joining us for today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.